Juliet. <laughs> what accent am I doing? Oh, that's great. It's like Australian. Hi, my name is Juliet, and I work on staff here at the Antioch Discipleship School. It's an honor and a joy to serve Jesus here in this community. Okay, first, I want to invite you to our upcoming class called Everyday Prophecy. The Bible teaches us that God gives his people gifts by the Holy Spirit that are to be used to glorify Jesus and administer to others. One of those gifts is prophecy. On March 26th, we are offering a three-week class called Everyday Prophecy, where you will learn what the Bible teaches about this gift and how to walk in it. Sign up for our Everyday Prophecy class online at AntiochDallas.org. Everyday Prophecy, he prophesies to you and says, I want you to love you. Second, to all of you who give financially to fund the mission of our church, thank you. We are currently moving to a new online giving platform to better steward the generosity of the church. So when you give your next gift, there will be a new user-friendly interface. If you are enrolled in automated giving, be on the lookout for an email from Joe Polino about how to transfer that to the new platform. <laughs> Lastly, if you are new here or have been here a while and want to get more connected to our church community, you can fill out a Next Steps card in the seat back in front of you. After the service, you can drop it in the box by the front door and our pastoral team will follow up with you. Okay, let's prepare our hearts to learn from God's Word as we continue our study in 1 Peter, grace for the everyday step of life. Y'all, Julie had a big weekend this weekend. Not only did she give some amazing announcements, but there's an announcement. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, right there. Why don't you stand up and wave for everyone and just flash. Woo! She got engaged. Yeah. Come on. That's exciting. All right, good morning, Antioch family. It's good to be with y'all. Uh, excited to be here. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Jeremy West. I'm uh, served here at Antioch as the worship pastor and uh, the director of the d d discipleship, d d d d d discipleship school. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> Dubstep discipleship. Oh, man. And so, anyways, it's good to be with y'all. I, I grew up here in Garland, actually, and then left and went to college in Abilene, got married and had some kids and then came back uh, to the Dallas area this last summer and came uh, to join uh, on staff here at Antioch um, as a part of this church and just love, 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 love what God's doing at Antioch Dallas and Antioch movement around the world. Um, it's so exciting and we're just like so thankful and joyful and expectant and um, yeah, just uh, like literally overjoyed to get to be a part of this family, get to be a part of you guys, and get to live life with you and change the world uh, with you. And so that's a little bit about me. You can go ahead and grab your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning, uh, diving in. The past several weeks, we've been on this journey 
together studying the book of 1 Peter and specifically discovering the grace of God that's supplied to us from the gospel for everyday stuff of life, like the real world when the rubber meets the road, the workplace, marriage, politics, community. Today, we're talking about suffering. So the grace of God supplied to us in the gospel, and so it's been a great uh, journey. Personally, I'm so thankful for the grace of God. I mean, I do not know where I would be. Actually, I do know where I'd be, and I don't even want to think about it, okay? I would be far from God, and my life would be a wreck. But I'm so thankful for the grace of God, so thank you, God, for your grace. We can all give an amen to that. Amen. Amen. Well, this past Monday, uh, our family celebrated the birthday of our son, Jaira. Uh, he's six years old. He turned six years old, and he, he kindly reminded me. Uh, he said, hey, Dad, I'm six. You know what that means? In 10 years, I'm going to drive. <laughs> no. Yesterday, we were at a birthday party. This is not in my notes. This is just the Holy Spirit. I... <laughs> We're at a birthday party for our friend, uh, Andrew Waldrum. And, uh, and so Andrew is in a, uh, in a wheelchair, and Jaira was there, and he was like, hey, Andrew, did you know, like, when I'm 16, you're going to be 15? I'm going to get a big truck, and I can put you in the back of my truck, and we can ride around. <laughs> true, true story. Ken and Karis were like, so anyway, so we had a birthday party, and we drug it out a couple of days because um, that's how we roll, and it was just fun. But um, you know, I remember when we found out that we were pregnant with Shira, my wife and I, Carly, we, uh, we found out we were pregnant. We had had a miscarriage before, so it was especially exciting news for us to, to find out, you know, man, we're, this is happening. Praise God, and we're so thankful. We got a picture up here of a, yeah, isn't he so cute? Sucking his thumb already and cooperating with the camera guy. And uh, so we were so excited and thankful. And, you know, we, my wife went into full nesting mode. And she's, like, getting all the stuff. Like, I kid you not, she collected twigs from outside and brought them into our house and created Jaira's name on the wall with twigs. Like, mama bird, for real. <laughs> And so we, you know, we downloaded every app on pregnancy so it'd tell you what's happening like today and that your child's the size of, you know, an orange or whatever. And so it's just exciting. Start thinking about names and praying about them and arguing about names and all of that sort of stuff. And then finally the day came. He was born, February 27th. Oh, yeah. Look at those dimples. And that little hand that's just like, what's up? Um, and so, yeah, we got another one here of our family. Yeah, look at that soul patch. <laughs> My wife actually dared me the other day. She was like, why don't you go back to the soul patch? I was like, I don't know, because it's not 1994. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so, life was good. I think we have another one of me and Jai with his two teeth. There, yeah. So we were having fun. And, but about three months, three to four months, uh, when he was three to four months old, we started noticing, noticing something was a little off. Something was a little wrong with his head. 
His head was not shaping properly, and so went to the doctor, and the doctor said, yeah, you know, this is, this is concerning. So he had CAT scan and found out that he had a birth defect called cranial synostosis, which means that his head was not, his skull was not going to form properly. And so a few months went by, more doctor's appointments, more questions, what's going on. And at eight months, we found out we, he is going to have a cranial vault reconstruction surgery where a brain surgeon and a plastic surgeon are going to reshape his skull. And, uh, and so we found ourselves at Cook Children's Hospital freaking out, what's going on? We, our only son is going under to have this surgery in, I think... The picture, yeah. This was an ICU, and I remember the day we they're they're wheeling him away from us into surgery, and he turns around on his elbows, he couldn't even crawl at the time, and looks up over his bed, makes eye contact with Curly and I, and just starts to scream, bloody murder, and we scream, and we're like Curly's going crazy, and I'm speechless and breathless, and she's falling on me and into my arms, and. What is going on with us? And I think there's a few other pictures here. Yeah, this is after recovery. Maybe one more. Yeah. So it was a major, major, major traumatic event. It was the hardest day of my life, no doubt. Easy. Um, the hardest day of my life seeing him in that and going through that. It was really, really difficult. And little did we know that was only the beginning of the journey for us. Um, you know, we've, we've had surgeries, we have uh, therapy, doctor's visits, autism spectrum diagnosis, ARD meetings at school, and then all the financial stuff that comes with, like, working through medical conditions. And I know I'm the guy on the stage, and you probably think, like, well, that you just were, you know, amazing man of power for the hour. Um, but the reality is, is that, man, I had some serious questions and really wrestle with stuff in that time. Questions like this, like, why, God, why? Why us? Why this? Why? Where are you, God? Or how are we going to make it through this? Like, where's the light at the end of the tunnel? How do we get through this? And I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room either that's maybe wrestled with some of those questions or had a difficult situation. I mean, the reality is we all face suffering. At some point, we all face difficulty. We all have trial. We all have hardship. It comes from, I mean, it's part of living in this world. We face it. Maybe it's from other people. Maybe it's a medical deal. Maybe it's physical, psychological, emotional, um, even spiritual suffering and attack. You've probably asked those same questions you know, that we asked. The good thing is that we're not the first nor the only ones to ever face that. And in the book of First Peter, this letter that we're reading, which actually uses the word suffering more than any other book in the New Testament, Peter is writing to a group of Christians just like you and I, okay, men, women, multi-nationality, uh, multi, uh, multi-ethnicities, um, age, people that own businesses, people that were employees, people that are married, people that are single, people going through the stuff of life. And these people were facing some really, really serious trials at the time. They live in a place called Asia Minor, which is Turkey, and in Rome. So just right across the bay, uh, Nero, who's the emperor, was destroying people who were people of faith. 
And they're hearing about that, and they're, it's beginning to happen in their own city, in their own place where they live. And so they're facing physical persecution and suffering. They're facing the, the physical hardships that just come from that, uh, the financial challenges that come from that. And that's their everyday life, the real-world stuff of life. And Peter, who's writing this, you know, he's not writing as someone that's like, well, I heard about this story once upon a time. Like, he's writing as someone who had been through suffering himself. Peter was one of the original 12 disciples with Jesus. Um, he walked with Jesus. Peter saw his best friends murdered for their faith. He saw one of his fellow disciples, James, beheaded. He, I mean, he endured suffering. He had financial hardship. He was was rejected by men, socially um, excluded in his own life. And in his old age, he's writing this letter to this group of people. He's writing this letter. He's probably in his mid-60s, maybe at this point. He's writing this letter to these people, um, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he gives some game-changing perspective about suffering. I mean, game-changing perspective about suffering and encouragement and hope and instruction for people who are enduring suffering. And I believe this, that if we will listen to the words of God, that we'll apply them to our life, that just like these people, we will be people that come through our own suffering, our own challenges, our own trial and hardship, stronger in faith, deeper with deeper love and intimacy with Jesus. And not only that, God will use us to display the hope of the gospel, the hope we have in Christ to the people uh, in the world around us. You know, these Christians, it's interesting that there was a, a Polycarp who was a, um, an old Christian um, leader at this time. He said that, that the church was growing on the blood, through the blood of the martyrs. It was fertilizing the ground, and that's even what happened here. These people that went through uh, extreme suffering in in a hundred, uh, sorry, in three hundred years, Rome went from a pagan, uh, I mean, just wildly pagan uh, nation, and through these Christians by three hundred A.D., it was declared the official religion of Rome because of people like this, not people of power. Not people with a lot of wealth, not people with, you know, all the right answers. People that said yes to Jesus, that obeyed him, and that followed him even in the midst of challenges and suffering. Um, and, and their lives were changed. People around them were changed. Um, so I believe that God has the same thing for us. And the scripture, I'm going to be upfront about this. This isn't like one sermon on suffering. By no means going to cover everything or answer every question that you have. But I believe that the words of God, for us this morning, um, they, I know this. They've been helping Christians throughout generations endure suffering and make it through suffering. And they've been personally meaningful to me. And they're going to, um, can really help shape us in this time. So. Y'all got 1 Peter 3? All right, let's do it. 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 8. Let's dive in. Finally, all of you. It means everybody. You too. All right. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and a humble mind. That's like Christianity 101, right? I've heard verses like that repeated a thousand times in the scripture. Love one another, tender heart, humble mind. Verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, 
but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And this is consistent with the teaching all throughout First Peter and all throughout the Gospels and all throughout the Word of God, that we have been called as a people who are set apart by God. We've been, we've been chosen by God. We've, his, he's purchased us with his own shed blood, as we sang about earlier this morning. He's chosen us. He set us apart to be a people for himself, a people for his own possession, that we might display his glory to the world. And, and that's not just some kind of ethereal thing. Displaying the glory of God to the world means you you bless instead of curse. You don't revile when you're reviled. It's practical, okay? And so that's who we're called to be. And God promises to bless us as we seek to live to be a blessing to others. Verse 10, for whoever desires to love life and see good days. All right, I think there's a few of us in here. If you're not paying attention, now you should start paying attention because he's about to give some the, the good recipe, the secret sauce here. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Okay, why? Because it says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Let that sink in a little bit. The eyes of the Lord rest on the righteous. He sees. And his ears are open to their prayer. Um, yes, please. Thank you, God. God wants to bless you, wants to hear your prayers, wants to respond. I'll take that. Um, I like that. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And we don't want that. Say, no, it's bad. Don't want that. Verse 13, now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous to do good? It's a great question. Now, let's pause right here for a second. When we encounter suffering, usually the first question that we ask is, why, right? Why God? Why this? Why now? Why is this happening? Um, it's a totally legitimate question. Absolutely great question, actually, to ask. And Peter lays out one of the, the reasons for suffering here. Because people do evil. People who do evil will suffer. Let me put it this way. If you cheat, if you steal... If you kill, if you gossip about people around you, if you're sexually immoral, if you slander others, if you cause division, if you're deceitful and so on, you're going to suffer real consequences in, in this life, all right? It's just like you reap, you reap what you sow. I mean, people, if you live that way, people won't trust you. You'll have a hard time gaining and maintaining friends by living that way, if those are your values, you may have a hard time uh, keeping a job, right? Uh, in fact, we, this is not like a Christian thing. This is just a thing thing. There's certain lifestyle, if you, if you live that lifestyle, it will have harmful effects on your own physical body, okay? Like there will be suffering that you endure from living this way. Not to mention that uh, when we choose to, to walk in, in those things, we open up a door for the enemy to torment our soul, our emotions and mind and, and just cause all kinds of havoc. So Peter's saying really clear from the very beginning, don't, all caps, don't let the cause of suffering be because you're hell-bent on doing evil. That's like, man, it just doesn't make sense, you know? Like, we pity, 
people that are just hell-bent on doing evil, and you suffer for it. That's not God's desire here. Nobody's got time for that, so we don't want to do that. And the Christians, when they heard this passage, they would have all said, amen, yes. Some would have even elbowed their neighbor and they would have said, I told you so. That's right. You know, Bad people suffer. Good people don't suffer. Did you hear him? what he said? Bad people suffer. Good people don't suffer. And if that was the whole passage, right, and that was the full answer to the question, we have a simple answer, and we just pack it up and go to Torchies. But that's not the end, so we're going to keep reading, okay? Look at this, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. And the church said, no, they didn't. No. The church said, wait, what? (laughs) I thought it was a simple equation. Evil people suffer. Good people don't suffer. And you're seeming to suggest here that that's not how it goes. Maybe that there's actually suffering. Maybe the good people will suffer for righteousness' sake. But it clearly says that. Am I right? I'll be honest. It's just me, God level honest. If God passed out coupons where we could turn that coupon in and cut one verse out of the Bible, I might use it on this verse. Because I don't like to suffer. I don't like trial. I don't like hardship. I don't even like working out. Okay? <laughs> Seriously. I, I'm like, I hear voices in my head when I'm working out. They're like, why are you doing this? You know you can stop. I don't. Okay? Yet, many places in the scripture we see things like this. Listen, listen to this. This is church leaders. This is people that have been through suffering. Okay? This isn't someone up on high, looking down on suffering people. This is someone in the middle of suffering. These, these guys saying things like this. Not only that, but rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. It's the Apostle Paul, Romans uh, chapter three, uh, 5, 3. James 1, he says, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. It's James, who's the half-brother of Jesus one of the apostles in the church. First Peter uh, 3, Peter's saying this, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And then Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he says these very things. Blessed are you when people hate you and when people exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven for so their fathers did to the prophets. It's Jesus. I mean, leap for joy. This is like a heel click. Do I need to show you? It's like, like that, right? Leap for joy, all right? This is like, how is this possible? How can people say things like this? Is it like for real or is this a joke? Or is it just kind of like a cheesy, like, Christian saying, be happy. Like, what, what is going on here? I mean, it seems like to me, and from what I've witnessed a lot of the time, and, and even if I'm honest with my own life, is that when people go through trials, they don't increase in joy. They are robbed of joy. That suffering, like, 
takes joy and takes peace and steals blessing from them. And what this is suggesting is actually that suffering could serve you so that your joy increases and your joy like magnifies and blessing increases. How's it possible? How is that possible? And what is God up to? I mean, we're going to, uh, to experience gaining instead of being robbed when we suffer. If that's the case, we need, like, perspective. Like, something, like, in my head is not working. It's, like, going here or here or here, and I need it to go right here. I need to go right here. I need to get something if this is the case. Because I don't want to be in that camp. If God is wanting to do something in me and through me, and he has better for me, I don't want to be thinking unbiblically, not led by the Holy Spirit, not the mind of Christ, but I want to have the mind of Christ. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the word of God. I want to be thinking biblically because God is saying here in, in, in a very practical way is, well, look, that suffering rather than stealing from you could actually serve you. What if God had a redemptive purpose for suffering. So let's keep reading, all right? We're going we're gonna to keep going here. First Peter, uh, verse 14, have no fear of them. Them is the cause of suffering they're experiencing, nor be troubled. Verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Love that. Man, this is real talk right here. This is not like a cheesy kind of flippant thing. This is heart level, real world in your heart, Honor Christ the Lord as holy. This is heart level, honest stuff. And then it says, sometimes be prepared to make a defense. Dang, sorry. When you feel like it, be prepared to make a, y'all, uh, contact issue. When you have enough money, no, y'all help me out. I'm, I'm struggling here. What's it say? Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Whoa. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that, you are, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good than it, if that should be God's will than for doing evil. This is crazy here because in the midst of suffering, this is what's happening, right? This is real world scenario. We're suffering, we're enduring hardship, and we're going, God, why? What are you doing? That's how we feel. We may not be doing that like verbally. But that's how we feel. God, what are you doing? Why? What's going on? And what Peter's saying here is that while you're doing that, your coworker, or family member, or neighbor is watching and they're going, I've never seen God more clear in my life. God, what are you doing in me? The way this person is, is, is doing this situation is like, I don't get it. And then they're asking, man, what, what, what's going on? Like, Let's be honest, like, what is going on in your life? Because, like, you just went through that and you responded with joy and hope. I, I don't 
have that. That's what's going on as we're wondering, God, what are you doing? Where are you? They're seeing God, and God's doing something in them. I'm not going to pretend to have it all figured out or to, like, have all the, the answers to the reasons why God will allow certain things to happen or the way that things happen. But I, I do know this, that he's good and always working for the good of those that love him. He always is good. He's unchangingly good. And listen to this, because this here is the perspective Peter is trying to give us. Sometimes God permits that we suffer various trials because our righteousness and hope in Christ is seen or was seen. That's what's going on with them. They lived a certain way. People didn't like it. Persecution, suffering, mistreatment. But suffering for righteousness' sake also means this. Sometimes God permits that we suffer various trials so that our righteousness and hope in Christ can be seen. Let me say that again. Sometimes God permits that we suffer various trials so that our righteousness in Christ our righteousness and hope in Christ can be seen by others. Because suffering has this way of like putting the spotlight on you. That's what this whole book of Job is about. He was living righteously, and there was an accusation against him. He's only doing that because he has a, a good life, and God permitted suffering. And the spotlight of heaven and earth got put on Job. And he's an example of one who suffered with hope and with confidence in God, who pointed to a greater reality. Suffering puts a spotlight on us and gives us the opportunity to display the hope of the gospel and the worthiness of Jesus to everyone around us. There's a reason for hope, friends. His name's Jesus. We know that this life is not all that there is, right? We have the hope of eternal life in Christ. And suffering has a way of magnifying the authenticity of your faith, of your hope, of your love to the people around you. It has a way of magnifying the credibility of your faith to people around you. Watching, suffering puts a spotlight on us and gives us the opportunity to display the hope of the gospel and the worthiness of Jesus to those around us. A few months after our surgery, we got a, my wife got a phone call from a, a former coworker who said, hey, would you, like, meet with my neighbor? So, like, okay, it's kind of random. We'll meet with your neighbor. So we meet with these, this uh, family, this couple, they were pregnant with their, or sorry, they had just had their firstborn son. And guess what? He had cranial synostosis. And he was about to have the same surgery, the same, like the same doctor, like everything that, that we were. And we didn't know these people from Adam, okay? So we meet with them, and they're just like, what's going on? We don't understand. And we got to start speaking hope and life into them. And sure, you know, we came through on the other side. God's good. 
He has a plan. He has a purpose. And so we walk with him through this journey. We got to display the hope of God. And it impacted them. And the cool thing is, is that we had been praying in that season for the Lord to bring close friends to us. Like deep, deep close friendships. And through this situation, these people have become some of our dearest friends. I mean, like my wife texts her every day. They live in Abilene. Dear, 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 dear friends of ours, and we experience firsthand the good purpose of God been in the midst of suffering, that he's at work to bless. He's at work to give. He's at work to restore. He's at work to give life, to bless. And he, and he wants to use that same blessing in us to bless others. There's a reason for our hope. The reason why there is a redemptive purpose in suffering, the reason why we can have a deep joy in God, the reason why we can have a steadfast hope is because Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our God, has suffered for us to display his love for us. Verse 18, Peter just keeps going. For Christ also suffered for sins. The righteous, that's him. For the unrighteous, that's us that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. The gospel is the cornerstone of our faith. At its core is a story of God suffering for us, suffering in love for us. Listen to this quote from Tim Keller. He says, we do not know the reason God allows evil and suffering to continue or why it's so random, but now we at least know what the reason is not. It cannot be that he does not love us. It cannot be that he doesn't care. He is so committed to our ultimate happiness that he was willing to plunge into the greatest depths of suffering himself. He understands us. He's been there. And he assures us that he has a plan to eventually wipe away every tear. Peter Kreeft, another theologian, He says this, I don't know why God allows evil things to happen, but I'm glad that he did allow one really evil thing to happen. He allowed Jesus to die on the cross. It's amazing to me when you read the Gospels that Jesus, when when he's risen from the dead in his resurrected, glorified body, he still has scars. He still has scars. Thomas, one of the disciples, said, I want to touch him. You and I someday will touch those same scars. We'll see those same piercings. The scripture says we'll look upon the one that was pierced. You and I will see it in his resurrected body as a reminder that, that God has suffered. That he has endured the greatest evil, the greatest suffering for our sake so that we could have hope eternal beyond measure. That that's who Jesus is. That's what he's done. And I love that his, I'm thankful that his love for me was magnified through what he suffered. That I can't say, well, God, you you just tell me that you love me. But no, he's like, look, I love you for real. The implications of this just continue to get richer and richer and richer. You know, Jesus knows our pain. He's borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. He's been there. And because of this, when we suffer, 
when we endure trials, when we experience those things, for whatever reason, there's an opportunity to experience on a deeper level intimacy and fellowship with Jesus. Now he, I'm going to skip this part that talks about Noah and spirits and Jesus going to hell. I, we're going to keep on the suffering track. You can ask Zach all your questions about that. First Peter 4, we're going to skip ahead. What's that? Text Joe at night. He's got a baby. He's up late at night. Just text him. Stupid. First Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. We've already established this. We, we cannot be surprised because we have perspective, right? We have perspective. God's doing something. Okay. All right. I, may I see what's coming? Yeah. Opportunity. The spotlight's here. It's time to display the hope of the gospel to those around me. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. There's a special privilege, a special invitation here to intimacy with God in the midst of suffering, that we share in that suffering through persecution. When we face trials for righteousness' sake, so that righteousness can be seen. Jesus is in that place with us. Verse 14, listen to this. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Wow. That spirit of glory, it's the word Shekinah, which in the Old Testament was a manifest presence of God that made like people like fall on their faces. The spirit of glory rests on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer or as a meddler. Just in case it wasn't clear the first time. Don't do that. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. In the midst of our journey with our son, Jaira, I mean, we were, uh, it was hard. There was challenges. We're feeling, man, what, what is going on? Even tempted to, to be ashamed of that, but we just by the grace of God, just keep pressing forward. And one of the things that we started to do with, with Jairo was we made this little declaration where every day we'd pray and we'd make a declaration, believing God for breakthrough, for healing, for life, for all of those things in him. And so uh, the declaration goes something like this. Hi, I'm Jaira. I'm five years old. Um, this is my declaration. I am a man of God. For faith and for of the Holy Spirit. I am loved by God. I love God. I'm a light at my school as I obey my teachers and honor my friends. I will pay attention so I can look, work hard so I can learn many things and grow up to be successful. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. To Him be the glory. Amen. Good job. Every day on the way to school, he's like, Dad, I haven't said my declaration yet. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I am a man of God. And the cool thing is, is the Lord, we've seen the Lord bring breakthrough. In the midst of this, God is present and he's at work. And just a couple of weeks ago, Jaira asked his teacher if he could bring his toy guitar to his kindergarten, North Lake Elementary. And so she said, yeah. And so he did. And so he played good, good father for his whole kindergarten class and the neighboring kindergarten class. Right? And he came home with this stack of papers uh, from, from students in his class 
They were like, Jaira's the best. Jaira's my best friend. I love Jaira. Jaira loves me. Like all of the kindergarten was like, dude, he's the coolest. Suffering put a spotlight on this boy in our family so he could display the hope and the goodness of God. And God's being glorified. By his grace, he's being glorified in our family. I'm thankful for that. He's near. It's hard. It's difficult. There's struggle. There's, I mean, it's ongoing. That's, that's the real life situation. But because of the grace of God, we can keep going. We can keep pressing forward. We keep believing him. We get up another day. We make a declaration and we pray. We believe God for what he wants to do. And that's what the scriptures would encourage you to do if you're in a place of suffering. Keep trusting and believing God. Verse 19, therefore, in light of all of this, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So if you're in this room this morning and you're in a place of difficulty, of suffering, of pain, or you've been through one, I want you to know the church is a place where we can experience the full range of emotions. There's sadness, there's grief, there's pain, there's joy, there's breakthrough. We want to do this life together. But the most practical thing that we can always do is pray. James says, James 5.13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. The fact that we will face trials and suffering in life is never, ever, ever to be a reason to just resign ourselves. Oh, well, I guess I'm going to suffer. It's hard. Like an Eeyore, all right? That's not what God's called us to. We pray. We believe God for breakthrough. We believe him for healing. We believe him for restoration. We believe him for justice. We believe him for those things with hope, right, in our eyes and in our hearts, with faith. We don't just say, oh, you know, whatever. It's, this is the way it's going to be. No, we pray, but we pray from a place of hope. We pray from a place of confidence. We even pray from a place of rejoicing in God. People all around us, hear this, people all around you are facing trial. They're facing suffering just like you, and they have no answers, like no direction, nowhere to go, no sign to point them in the right direction. None of that. But when we get the privilege of enduring suffering and various trials that come our way, the spotlight of opportunity to display hope, confidence that there is a God. His name is Jesus. He's good. This, is, this world is not all that there is, right? There will be a day when he will wipe away every tear. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more sin. There will be no more devil, lying, stealing, thiefing, destroying devil because he will be put under the feet of Jesus. He'll be absolutely crushed under the feet of Jesus. And until that day comes, and as that day comes, we pray. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Our team's going to come up and just lead us in a, a song to respond. God, 
We thank you, Jesus, that you are willing to endure the depths of suffering for our sake, that we might know your love and experience your love. God, thank you for your presence with us in the midst of suffering. Thank you that there's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace for us. That you are with us and you have a purpose for our life. That you are present with us and that you will give us grace to persevere. When peace like a river When sorrows like sea billows
Bye.